Here we are, the beginning of season two. I've really been looking forward to this. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. We've been very busy preparing for season two. It's been nice to have a break and to think a little bit about what we want to do that's new in this season. Yeah, really excited for the episodes we've got coming up this season. I think we're going to have a few real gems in there and a few really interesting discussions and topics to explore. So really looking forward to what we've got coming up. Something I wanted to ask you is, what other podcasts have you been listening to recently that you found particularly useful? I guess I've had two, really. So with everything that's been going on in Ukraine, I've been listening to Ukrainecast, which is kind of a spin-off from the BBC's newscast, kind of just to keep update from that, the events unfolding there. But then on the flip side, been listening to Ed Gamble and James Acaster's Off Menu podcast, which is just, I find absolutely hilarious. So good to balance the different moods, I guess. What about you, Shah? One of my boys is very into history and politics. And so he's put me onto two podcasts, one called The Rest is History and the other one called The Rest is Politics. I found myself being really drawn into both of those. I mean, it sounds quite dry, but of course, there's no shortage of interesting material right now. With the conflict in Ukraine, they've gone into quite a lot of detail about the origins of the current Russian administration. And to me, it's been fascinating. And actually, it makes me think, how have I not paid close attention to history and politics in the last 20 or 30 years? This is a really great way to get back into it, particularly the politics one, which is run by Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell who is a figure I find interesting with his association with the Blair regime. You know, so it's fascinating and they're not short of opinions. What have been some of the things that you've been particularly aware of in the news recently? So I guess obviously the theme that we had from this last series was just inflation. And I guess the cost of living is now really starting to hit home for many people. So I think probably a couple of weeks ago now, but the kind of inflation was at 7%. And I think forecasts have it coming out increasing even further this year. So I guess that's got so many angles for us as insurers, but also in our own personal lives that will be interesting to kind of keep a close watch on and see how they unfold. We've done quite a bit of research recently with insurers as to their views on future inflation. It's safe to say that most people expect inflation to be higher than what the market is implying when you look at the inflation implied by real yields. So that's an interesting disconnect too. The other thing that caught my eye was obviously last week, there were all the protests outside Lloyd's Extinction Rebellion coming back again and protesting, which I think caused Lloyd's to close for the day. So it'll be interesting to see if we see many more protests from them. And I think they're quite a controversial group when it comes to climate change protesting, but I guess they do raise the profile of it and get us all talking about it. One thing I think is there's no faulting their grammar because they correctly put an apostrophe in Lloyd's name, which, of course, many people forget. So I think they deserve respect for that, if nothing else. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, What's been on your radar, Charles? Certainly the same things you've mentioned, but the one thing that really caught my eye in the last few days is just the growing pressure from investors on certain big insurers to disclose more about their climate change risks. So some big-name insurers are now under the spotlight with investors or activist groups now pressuring them to disclose more. It's got to be a good thing. As an investor and insurer, you want to understand the risks. We all know climate change risks are very hard to quantify, but that doesn't mean that we don't try. 
So I kind of welcome that move, although I recognize it will be a challenge for the insurers to respond. Welcome to Insurance Uncut, the podcast where we explore the big issues impacting the general insurance market. I'm Charles Cronier. And I'm Jessica Clark. And Insurance Uncut is brought to you by LCP. We'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch with your questions or feedback via LinkedIn or our website. Let's kick off with this week's episode. For me, a big theme at the moment is that the world is changing rapidly. The things you need to succeed in the future are going to be different from what's worked in the past. And this sort of concept of the insurer of the future, how do they differ? What are the things that help them compete? To me, is topmost in my mind. And I can't think of anyone better to help us explore that subject than Tom Durkin. So welcome to the podcast, Tom. Absolutely delighted to be here. So Tom heads up LCP's insurance consulting practice. He works with a wide range of insurers, including commercial insurers, large personal lines insurers, and Lloyd syndicates. Tom is also a non-executive director for a PNI Mutual and has acted as chief actuary for a number of insurers. And I'm really looking forward to the insights you're going to share today, Tom. As Sean mentioned, Tom, we're here today to kind of talk about the insurance industry or the kind of insurance firm of the future and what that will look like and essentially where we are now and how we get there and what we need to start changing in order to kind of keep up. So I guess I kind of wanted to start off by asking you why you thought the insurance industry needed to change. It's an excellent place to start. It comes back to the point, if there's no reason to change, don't change for the sake of it. In the case of the insurance industry, I think there are reasons. There are legacy issues, things like very high expense ratios. Are customers really getting value for money across all segments across the industry? That's a real question. Legacy systems, how do we get that overall efficiency and make sure that everything's talking to each other efficiently? So that's one thing, which is addressing legacy points. The second is around the opportunities. So there's real opportunities when it comes to technology to provide a better customer experience, to engage with people in such different ways. And then both those are in the context of wider societal changes. So the fundamental of an insurance product hasn't changed for a long time. Yes, there are new innovations that we are seeing, but to ensure that we are continuing to meet that societal need, it is really important to continue to innovate as an industry, both individual firms and the market as a whole. To help us define the sort of stuff that we're talking about here, clearly you've got insurance firms who are doing things in a completely different way. Let's say take Lemonade, for example, completely different distribution and insurance model. And that's great. Are we saying that all insurers need to turn into Lemonades? Or are we saying that there is an insurer of the future who in some ways looks like a current, let's say, specialty lines insurer, but does things differently? Absolutely right. So, I mean, my personal view is not every insurer needs to be completely different than what they are currently. And in many ways, it's horses for courses, depending on what customers are looking for. I mean, there are a huge range of options for what insurers can do to prepare for the future. I find it really helpful to think about it as four broad buckets. The first is around the customer and the customer experience. Then the use of technology, analytics, and the insight that you can get from the wider range of data that's available. And then the fourth is around protection. So that's things like the wider regulatory environment and ensuring that there's sufficient capital for protection. 
So customer technology analytics and protection. And my view is that different insurers when preparing the future will have a different balance in terms of where they focus. So something like Lemonade clearly transforming the way that technology is being used in transforming that customer journey. But a traditional PNC London market firm, well, they may be looking to move towards a more digital marketplace. Their customer needs are very different. And therefore, it may well be that they have a quite a different balance between those four different areas. If we take our sort of typical let's say, London market insurer. I know every firm is unique, but if we take a <laughs> agreed, firm agreed. that writes a range of business across the London market and they accept the premise that they need to evolve in order to survive, where do they start? With all these things, it's about understanding a journey that they want to go on. There are, as we've alluded to, lots of different areas of focus. And I would be saying to them, Think about each of those four broad components. So let's take technology, for example. And actually, one of the challenges within the London market is the expense ratio. And I'd be saying, well, to what extent can you harness technology to really streamline the process? And clearly, Lloyds of London itself has got Blueprint 2 and has got a real focus on moving towards that digital marketplace. And... In order to enable that technology, often data is a key feed into the process. So that's both managing your internal data, but also thinking about some of the external data sources that you can use to transform your processes. So for example, moving away from a situation where there's lots of manual analysis to one where that external data is in a ready-to-use form. And it's perhaps no surprises at all with Lloyd's itself that one of the first deliverables for this year has been the definition of the core data record, which will be that standard data format that will be used so that all the different insurers across the London markets can talk to each other efficiently. I think that's something I've been quite surprised at in probably the last few months, some of the work we've been doing on kind of climate change, just sometimes at the lack of data that you just think should just become, be much more standard now in terms of being recorded and captured. Um, even if it's not being fully utilised yet, I guess I was quite surprised to some degree that data is still potentially got a way to go in order so that technology and analytics in particular can really be harnessed. I guess a question, Tom, in terms of the technology, I think it's very hard to want to do everything in one go and go from where you are currently maybe not utilising tech to a beautiful, sparkly solution. But I think it is very much a journey. How would you approach that journey? And actually that, trying to do everything in one go, is very rarely the right solution for a whole bunch of reasons. One of the concepts that we apply whenever we're thinking about a transformation project is this idea of a levelling up path. What you clearly want to do is understand what your final vision or at least your sort of two, three, five-year vision looks like for an organization or for a process or anything that you're looking to transform. But if you're going to go to your stakeholders, okay, we want to invest this amount of resource, this amount of money, this amount of time. And oh, by the way, you're not going to see anything for five years. It doesn't go down that well. And actually breaking that up into a smaller number of tangible steps really helps for a whole bunch of reasons. And depending on the particular transformation project in mind, I like seeing results sort of three to six months in. And that really then builds up the momentum 
Again, going back to our sort of imaginary London market insurer who is looking to evolve or at least not fall behind. I feel like you've got one in mind, Charles. Is that not right? Your imaginary <laughs> one feels like a real one. Oh, I have, I have many in mind. I suppose one of, the, one of the things I observe, well, two things. Let's see which one you want to pick up on, Tom. One thing that I observe okay. is that the way that insurers in the London market do strategy is still quite a manual, quite a gut feel process. And partly it's because it has to be because they perhaps don't have the technology and analytics to learn very rapidly from the emerging experience of business that they're writing. I think that's one dynamic that some people are going to start learning more quickly from their either what they're doing well or what they're doing badly and gain a competitive advantage. And how can insurers get into that? The second thing is the sort of disaggregation of where people add value in the insurance world. And we've sort of seen the rise of MGAs. And again, we talked about the customer. The customer's first point of contact is mainly the broker rather than the the insurer. And one of the things I'm concerned about is that more and more, the insurer is just being seen as a balance sheet. And you can get a balance sheet anywhere. And they're almost like the bottom of the food chain. And I worry that they're not getting their fair share of the whole value proposition. And again, for an insurer who does want to be providing the balance sheet, but doesn't want to find themselves at the bottom of the food chain, what do they do to improve the situation? Two great questions. I'm going to take both of them, actually. I'll take them in order. So the first is around this typical London market insurer. And I fully echo a lot of that historical strategy has been through happenstance. It's been through the connections that they happen to have made, the lines of business that happened to have done well. And there is a real opportunity to take a very measured and systematic approach to revise strategy there. Which lines should we write less of? Which lines should we focus on? I think analytics has got a good part to play there. I think there's also a big cultural point as well. So if you think about where the strategy is driven by an organization, It's not necessarily by a coherent group that's steering the overall insurer forward. It could be different individuals that have got areas of focus that they're particularly interested in or areas that have historically been important, but perhaps less important. And ensuring that those decisions have got a clear framework when you're making them through. And also, like the answer to your earlier question, Jess, don't try and do everything in one go think about those incremental steps. So that's what I would say in terms of the London market insurer. In terms of relevance and how does an insurer be more than a balance sheet, I think this has got a lot to do with value add. So if you can demonstrate the value that you are bringing to customers, and actually, I'm tempted to go right back to the beginning of insurance. If you think about the very beginning of insurance, and the mutuality. And I've worked with a large number of mutuals. In fact, I'm a non-executive director for a mutual at the moment. And one of the things that I find fabulous about mutual organizations is that the focus isn't just on the commercial result. It's also on the support that the mutual or the club can provide. If you look at the value add that members get from an organization like that, they're not just getting the protection, but they're also getting the professional support as well. So for example, it may well be that they're looking at various contracts, they're looking at industry risks, the amount of 
that support that information that they get through their insurer is typically quite a bit higher than if it was just a purely commercial transaction. And it becomes a relationship rather than just a transaction. Other ways that we can add value, I think some of the point of sale insurers, so someone like Okodo, and the fact that they can provide credit insurance at the point that you're looking to purchase a particular order. I mean, the value there comes from the convenience. I mean, it comes from the fact that you are in your existing workflow of going through that process, going through that purchase. And you go, is that something that I value? Yes, it is. I think those are some really nice examples of going back to those four areas that you talked about, Tom. Absolutely. How insurers are kind of really helping provide benefit to the customers. Have you got any kind of good examples in the other three areas that you think insurers are kind of ahead of the game at the moment? A few of the technology-driven examples, including we mentioned Lloyd's and a number of others. I mean, there's lots of examples on the technology. Internet of Things, being able to provide better and real-time monitoring, of, for example, flood risk. I mean, I think that's a really exciting focus for the industry. On the protection side, we've all got our fingers crossed that the regulatory environment, certainly in the UK, will become less onerous, keeping all the good bits, but perhaps less of the dry reporting side, making sure that overall we are in a better place as an industry. On the analytics side, so as you both know, I mean, I've been heavily involved in the development of LCP's platform, LCP InsureSight, which is absolutely in the center of how can insurers use analytics better as part of their enhancement to getting better information from their existing data, but also ensuring that they've got that in a really efficient workflow. And we've seen some significant reductions in the amount of time that existing teams need to spend on analyzing data. I mean, we've had feedback from users that saved them 80% time. So a process that previously took them two weeks, that would be down to just two days. Which is amazing. When that was fed back, I mean, that was the sort of target we were aiming for, but it was wonderful to hear it back as a very clear stat. The key there, though, is it's not just about the efficiency. It's also about what additional value do we get with that additional time? So it means that the individuals within your organizations, your data scientists, your actuaries, your other individuals across the organization that are mining your data for this insight, they've got 80% of their time back to do additional really valuable analysis. So when the CFO is sitting there saying, well, how can I better understand my trends in this area? Or the customer-focused teams are saying, well, how can we better engage with our customers in this particular way? Then it allows them to reach out to their existing experts internally who have got more time, their time's been freed up, and then that analytics can go beyond what they're already doing. I think for me, that is a big one, because so often over the years, what I have observed is that those who are tasked with delivering insight on what's happening with the business and how it's developing, back at the office, they spend most of their time wrestling with data, trying to get the figures into shape rather than just getting the figures sorted straight away and then having time to think about the implications. So much value is lost there just because it's such hard work producing the necessary analyses. So I think there's a lot of value to be unlocked there. Very good. Very good. Actually, I've got a question for the two of you, if you don't mind. So we've been talking about this, and I know that obviously we all work in the insurance industry. 
And <laughs> of all the areas that we've been discussing so far, I'd be really interested to hear what each of your views are on perhaps the most important or the most important couple of areas for the industry. Do you want to go Do first? Want to go first yeah. Sean? Yeah. <laughs> Snap. Yeah, no, I don't mind going first. Is this the hot potato question? Sorry, I should have given you a warning, yeah. shouldn't I? <laughs> I'm very tempted to say it's all about analytics because that's my day job and I can see so clearly the value to be added. So yes, very tempted to say that that's the number one area, but I can't get away from this nagging suspicion that a deeper connection with the customer is what's really going to enable an insurer to survive and thrive in the new world. And as much as it is probably true that some insurers have kind of been relegated to the role of just an easily replaceable balance sheet at the bottom of the equation. I think there's every opportunity for them to change that role to add value. Little positive example is that certain insurers providing cyber cover also provide a lot of consulting support to their insureds on how to reduce their cyber risk. That's not even in a mutual environment. That's in a pure profit making environment. So I think there's got to be more opportunities like that. And yeah, analyzing what is it that has caused some of the really top underwriting talent to migrate away from insurers and into, say, MGAs, that trend must be reversible if insurers deal with some of the sort of legacy baggage that's perhaps been weighing them down. Very interesting. Yeah, I think I'd agree, Charles. I think the culture of an organisation is something that is just growing, I think, in importance, both for the customers, but also for employees. And I think if you foster a good culture, then things like making tech changes will become much easier and we'll have a lot more kind of support rather than the kind of inevitable pushback that I think you can sometimes get. I think change for a lot of people is scary, but I think we're in an environment now where where change is inevitable and we need to have processes and systems and people that are willing and ready to adapt to change and to look at the opportunities from that rather than seeing it as a risk. So I think that kind of key cultural shift will then mean that kind of tech and analytic changes will happen easier, but also then the benefits from it will be seen much more. I think you've touched on a very powerful thing there, which is that I, and I guess many other insurance customers are going to start caring a lot more who provides that balance sheet that sits behind our insurance protection. I want to know that they're a company that doesn't jar with my personal values or is not involved in things worldwide that I wouldn't be happy with. And so I think there's every opportunity for insurers to align themselves with the public and make themselves the insurer of choice by demonstrating that they've got the right sorts of values. I guess then, what should firms be doing to make sure they aren't left behind at all? Any kind of key tips you might have, Tom? Making sure they're being very deliberate in all the strategic decisions they are making. So absolutely do not do analytics because your next door neighbour within the insurance market is doing analytics. No. Do analytics because you can see the objectives that you're trying to achieve as an organization and the value that that's going to bring. Similarly, don't introduce new technology into your claims process just because everyone else is doing it. Work out what's right for your customers. Work out what's right for their experience and implement the most impactful of those options. And then take your time to then review that and iterate over the coming years to ensure that you're continuing to offer excellent service to those customers. What are you doing personally to kind of help insurers 
prepare for the future? The main areas of focus for me and my team at the moment is on the analytics side. I mentioned LCP and Shoresight, and that's a big part of how we can help insurers really future-proof their analytics strategy. I mean, that's already being used to analyze over 100 billion of reserves. And we've got a new version of that coming out this quarter as well, which is so exciting. I mean, it will absolutely transform certain aspects of the actuarial analysis focused on setting reserves. And we ran a proof of concept on that last quarter, and we took a process that previously took over six months, and that was done in the morning. So it's completely transformational. And I think that's a really exciting a new step, certainly for the actuarial teams and also beyond that. So we're getting inquiries from people outside the actuarial team that are looking more focused on the overall performance of the insurer that are also now keen to use InsureSight to transform those processes as well. I mean, you've touched there on the time saving again. And I suppose for me, a way of summing a lot of this stuff up is that when we all got involved in the insurance industry, one of the first things I was told, I'm sure similar for yourself, is that insurance is one of the few products where you don't know the cost of your product until some time after you've already sold it. Exactly. And so that's got to mean that the insurer that can accurately determine the cost of their product quicker than other insurers has got an advantage. And I suppose the analytics that you're talking about there is a way of genuinely shortening that loop. Exactly. And that means there's fewer surprises later on. It means that you can act on those insights quicker. We often discuss with insurers the idea of feedback loops. There's no point having an insight if it's sat in a siloed team. That insight needs to be used across the organization for it to be really valuable. Well, thank you so much, Tom. This has been the perfect topic to kick off our second season with. As you know, Tom, we like to end our episodes by finding out a little bit more about our guests by asking them some fun questions. Now we've revamped the questions for season two. So the first one is, if you could do any other job, so not in financial services, I guess, what would that be? First of all, I should say how much I love my job. I think working with LCP is absolutely (laughs) brilliant. And I've always enjoyed being an actuary. I mean, I've done lots of different things. I've traveled internationally with my work as well. So loads of opportunities. And I'd certainly recommend it to anyone. In terms of other possible jobs, I've always had a passion for singing, but I also developed video games. So perhaps there's a couple of options there. Professional singer or an indie video game developer. I'm also enjoying them as side projects as well. So lots of good stuff. I would love to see, Tom, how you could combine the two kind of singing and video games like some kind of crossover there in some form some sort of next generation karaoke (laughs) well that's good we are working on something at the moment i'm working with a friend of mine who produces music i mean they've produced a number of albums over the years and actually we're doing a bit of a symbiotic game that has got both arcade aspects and musical creation aspects as well so we first did a version last year as part of a game jam and we are building on that it's taking a long time but Hopefully, it will partially meet your aspirations on that, Jess. I'll send you a link when it's done. (laughs) Sounds great. Perhaps I can ask the next very important question. And this is a subject that's very close to my heart. And the question is, if you were to invite Jess and me around to dinner, what would you cook for us? I think a curry. Do you both like curry? Wouldn't necessarily cook it, but certainly provide it. No, okay. Well, maybe I'll check (laughs) what you like before I... Maybe that's the way to play it. I'll see what your... uh, your You've got a good local takeaway then. Yeah, amazing. 
The other thing that we're having quite regularly when we've got guests around is a veggie chili as well, which is really nice on a jacket potato. Mm. And that's really good when it's a big group as well. So yeah, lots of good mm. stuff. Lots of good options. Thanks so much, Tom. That's all we have time for this week on Insurance Uncut. Please join us in two weeks' time for another episode. This podcast is brought to you by LCP. We'd like to thank Nikki Freegard, Deepika Misra, Megan Frost, and Matthew Passy for helping to produce this episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be taken as advice. All views expressed by podcast hosts and guests are purely their own opinions and do not represent those of LCP, its clients or affiliates. LCP makes no warranty, guarantee or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast.